0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now
2: welcome back everybody and happy happy new year it is another installment of jc and morgan we've got the full cast of characters everybody is here everybody is excited to uh, dive into 2023 Uh, apologies that we had a little longer break than normal obviously the holidays are part of that uh, between uh, everybody's work schedule and i know jc you've had some some health issues thankfully you're you're great uh, and okay i know a lot of your um followers on uh, other platforms like BigSpur.com and 247 Sports were concerned for a while, but you're back at hundred percent. Haney is well sober and hundred percent. That's always a good thing. And um I've accurate. been battling <laughs> I've been battling um throat and uh sinus and everything else and got caught in one of the uh, thousands of flight issues. We we could do a whole hour on how I spent <laughs> Christmas Eve and Christmas in airports and airport hotels, how my first experience with Southwest Airline was uh, a a complete nightmare. I will give them kudos. They not only refunded the flight, um, which they were wise to do, but they also gave uh, credit to people like me to get some of the sour taste out. Um, uh, But anyway, it's been a hectic December for all of us uh and we know that many of you have been uh ready to get back on board and download and listen however you do we're happy that you're here and we're happy to be here guys we've got a whole lot to uh unpack here um we're we're embarking on the national championship game in in a few days i guess four days officially from when we record this and we we are going to wrap up what i think has been one of the best bowl seasons we've ever had and a necessary uh season overall for college football, I say necessary because I thought for a lot of we've talked about this a lot at the risk of sounding negative, college football had become a little predictable. The playoff had become stale. uh none of that has happened this year. We have new blood, we have had entertaining games. and so um I think overall 2022 college football, regardless of what happens on Monday night, will go down as a big win for everybody. So happy to say that and happy to say hello to you.
1: Yeah, I agree, Mike. Um, Semifinal Saturday has been a little anticlimactic if you sort of think about it, especially last year. You know, Alabama-Cincinnati was kind of – Alabama just kind of lined up and ran the ball and beat them, and then Georgia uh, thumped Michigan. Uh, But this was a, a classic semifinal Saturday, probably the best we've had. Um, probably two of the best games all year, really, with uh, TCU, Michigan, and uh, Georgia, Ohio State, uh, and and some new teams. You know, quite frankly, TCU uh, breaking through—that's a good a uh, good deal. Uh, speaking of breaking, uh, I do want to thank you for asking about my health. I'm fine. Uh, a little vertigo, high blood pressure issue. Miss missed signing day for the first time in twenty years, but there is a silver lining, Mike. And your yes. poster reminded me of that. I finally started watching Breaking Bad. Oh,
2: <laughs> okay. So for those I'm, that don't know, we're out of Zoom so we can see the oh, background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haney's winning the Zoom game with the Simpsons living room background. I believe that's what that is. Am I right, Michael? That's, that is correct. Okay. So you're like playing the role of Homer on the, on the couch. Mm-hmm. I'm in my office slash man cave, which has a number of things uh, on it, including random credentials of games that I've been to and covered and worked and all that stuff. The up top is the picture of Jaws with with Quint mm-hmm. and and, and um, Hooper. Uh and and of course um the great scientist played by uh, Richard Dreyfus. Um and Chief Brody. And then I've got a poster of Breaking Bad, the two main characters, uh brilliantly played by Brian Cranston and help me out, Ethan Paul. Yeah. Who is I'm that was Pretty, that, that, pretty sure. That? Uh yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, so I've got that, and I've been you—you you guys that have been listening to this for a while. I get on JC because uh, Aaron Paul, Aaron Paul, thank you. Uh, JC does, appreciates good movies and shows, just as it doesn't take a lot of them in. So yeah. when I know he's going to like something, I'm like you got to watch this. So you've actually gotten into Breaking Bad. It's it's been six
1: years, but I think we started this podcast six years ago, in you 2016 football season actually. Wow, so you've been telling me this probably before. I guess that show can't, Now that show was out by then. You've probably been telling me this for about ten years now, Mike. Oh yeah. So finally, I was like, you know what? I'm bo- I'm be- I'm having to lay down. I can actually watch stuff on my phone with the vertigo, and it's not bad. So started watching it. Five episodes in, and planning on taking a few more in really really soon but uh, it only gets better I, I, I hear it picks up tremendously and i'm very intrigued so anyway
3: it can be a little heavy and a little depressing at times uh, The binge watch that's one of those shows that i think after three or four episodes at a time i'm like okay i need to like take a break for like a week and then i'll come back to it It'll yeah make it, you, it make you want
1: to quit smoking i mean because he's, he's coughing <laughs> through the whole thing you know i mean you're like yeah. <clears throat> and you're like oh god i'm smoking. Yeah, anyway yeah, but that, yeah I, I thought I'm sure it's going to get really, really good. Uh, I have that feeling.
2: It it does. I think it's I think it's a, an all-timer, no doubt. Uh, the Hot Haney 5 is an all-timer, but because there's so many things to get into, we're, we're going to try to squeeze in an hour's time uh, the Hot Haney 10. So we're going to be a little more concise today, but we want to get to a number of subjects. Uh, and uh, Haney, I know you've crafted this. You've sent it to uh, the boys and gals in R&D. Uh, and they have spit out an award-winning Hot Haney Ten. Hot Haney Ten, guys, you you ready?
3: It's it's been uh we're, we're jumping right out of the gate with this. You know, this is kind of like you haven't worked out for about a month or so, and we're just going to start <laughs> running some running some uh, suicides. But here we go. Uh, just, I'll I'll make it easy on you from the from the get go. Like you said. We've got a national title game that's got some new blood in it. TCU doing what nobody expected was going to happen. They were 5-7 and seven last year. I remember when I first joined onto the podcast, one of the first stories was Gary Patterson being let go at TCU, and and where would TCU go, and how would they fare in the Big 12? And lo and behold, they hire Sonny Dykes, and, well, they're four quarters away from uh, pulling off the David and Goliath and, and knocking off the mighty Georgia Bulldogs in the national title game. Uh but guys first just some reaction to what we saw, how they beat Michigan, uh how they fended them off. I mean, they were dominating the game at times. Michigan fought, fought back. Obviously Georgia uh with the tremendous comeback in the fourth quarter themselves. Uh and and I love the the feed uh if if you haven't seen it out there uh, listening the the quadruple cam of the ball drop uh in New York right as the uh, the field goal in the Ohio State uh, Georgia game is happening everything coinciding at the same time, a a kind of magical moment, unless you're a Buckeye fan, but we got TCU, we got Georgia and what you guys said was a, a, a magical uh, and great uh, semifinal Saturday. So guys, TCU and Georgia, what, uh, what are we thinking about that particular game coming up on Monday night?
2: Well, look, I hate to say it like this, but, but Georgia, it's not a boring story. It's just a story we all know. Right. So I, I, I can go into Stetson Bennett again uh, and and yes, uh, for the Nicole Hourbacks of the world that felt the need to tell everybody they, they should be embarrassed if they had uh, Stetson Bennett on the Heisman uh, ballot, almost if it was like a lazy pick taking the quarterback on the top team. Stetson mm-hmm. Bennett continues to be the, the main reason why Georgia is there in the national. They, they don't win these some of these playoff games and close games without Stetson Bennett at quarterback. But Georgia's always been uber talented on both sides of the ball under Kirby. They have a difference maker, a quarterback, uh, and you're seeing more and more why Stetson Bennett is more than justifiable to take a trip to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, the, the the more intriguing story to me is TCU, and I don't care if they get blown out, and I don't think they will, but if they do get blown out on Monday night, let's take a second to reflect on this. They were 5-7 and seven a year ago, as Michael mentioned. Um, they fired their coach, Gary Patterson, and it wasn't just a you know off a one off bad season they actually had a slightly below 500 record for the previous 3 years for whatever reason it just sometimes your voice they just start tuning you out it happens in every sport at every level gary patterson's a coach i have a lot of respect for he took tcu to a whole other level but a change needed to be made it was made but that's not where this story stops you you hire a guy that was fired by Cal a few years ago. Uh, think about that. Sonny Dykes was fired by Cal. Uh, Sonny Dykes, you know, is not your typical uh, young gun coaching genius hire that people were excited about. It didn't make any major headlines at all, and for a lot of people, it was kind of like, "Is that Spike Dy- Dykes' son?" Uh, it is. But it, it, there there was just no buzz about that hire. TCU lost a ton of players. Uh, their best one might have been a running back who was at Ole Miss this year. They had to go in the portal and grab guys from like Navy and other random places. And they all, I won't say 100%, but most of them turned out pretty good. They were unranked at the beginning of the year. The last time an unranked team at the beginning of the year won a national title, 1984 BYU out of the whack And they beat a six and five Michigan team in a bowl game that would never happen today. That's how screwy our system was then. My point to all this is that TCU is the closest thing we have to a Cinderella in football, a sport that doesn't allow itself to have Cinderella's in the postseason. So I think it's a tremendous, tremendous story What they did against Michigan is what nobody thought they would be able to do, and that's hold up on the line of scrimmage. They play a 3-3-5, and people thought Michigan would just maul them and just ground and pound. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it with the top offensive line the last two years in college football, according to the Moore Award. Uh, I think we got two great stories here, and I'm hoping for a great game, but make no mistake about it. Those semifinals on New Year's Eve, and the ratings were terrific, by the way, which goes to show you – You can have it on New Year's Eve. If they are two great games, people will watch. Uh, That is legendary, what we had. And, again, great for the sport, thoroughly entertained, watched every minute of both games, and looking forward to the final.
1: Yeah, here's another interesting uh, coaching tidbit. The offensive coordinator at TCU is Garrett Riley. Who would have thought Garrett Riley would be coaching in a national championship game before Lincoln Riley? Uh, his brother, uh, that's uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And hmm. you know, I, I was against the 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 uh jettisoning of Gary Patterson because he, he's probably one of my favorite coaches, you know, and maybe it's just because I like the fact that he writes country music. Michael Haney can relate to that. Uh, and I've always just had I'm an, an immense respect for where he got that program. Um, and, you know, Sonny Dykes to me, I've never, you know, there's been some coaching searches with some certain schools I've followed and covered, and I'd see Dyke's name pop up. I'm like, ah, ah, you know, uh, you know, kind of just an air raid guy or whatever. But, uh, I'll tell you the difference in that game was TCU was a faster top to bottom football team, their defensive line is not tiny, it's not gigantic, like, uh, you know, a lot of the big 10 ones. And, and certainly physically you, you were concerned Michigan was going to wear them down, but those guys are all athletic and they didn't relent, man. They just kept bringing it and bringing it. They not only could throw the ball on Michigan, they could run the ball on Michigan. Although Michigan had some unfortunate plays where they were kind of disjointed, especially with the Philly special early. That's not how they got there. I think sometimes when teams get upset when they get to a playoff or a bowl game or, or, or something where the stakes are higher, Mike and Michael, it, it's when they, that they decide to like not become themselves uh, and, and Michigan got to where they were by lining up and dominating the line of scrimmage and running it on people. And uh, they got a little too cute, got a little too cute. I'll say this. JJ McCarthy is a championship level quarterback uh, as far as his heart goes and his, his willingness to battle and do what it takes. Uh, But I thought Max Dugan was equally as impressive. Uh, So so what really just stood out to me just matchup-wise, and I'll throw it back to you because I don't think this is going to be the case Monday night, is TCU was just a faster football team, and they schemed it in such a way to where they could take advantage of that. They didn't let Michigan just bully them, right? They played physical enough and attacked enough uh, to where their speed uh, ended up being the difference in the game, along with some Michigan mistakes and if you're a Michigan fan out there, maybe a couple of calls you didn't really like, but uh, what a football game and a, a tremendous win uh, for that program. I I don't know if they claimed one of like the Texaco Oil National Championships of the '40s or something. Seems to me like they have won one way back in the. They day.
2: They did, yeah. Like when Davy O'Brien was playing, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, but it's uh, it, it's been a long time coming. To you just think of all the greats at that school. Uh, you know, through the years and their fan base. I mean, it's a small 12,000-student school in Fort Worth, Texas with a bunch of Texas kids that probably were not all highly rated and a bunch of transfer portal guys that were not all that highly rated. And Max Dugan was not even the quarterback at the beginning of the year that was starting. So uh, it's a great story. Uh, Unfortunately, I I think that whereas Michigan was big and maybe not as fast as TCU, I think Georgia is big and is just as fast, if not faster. So that's going to be – that's my key matchup on uh, on Monday night. And the difference is, uh, yes, Michigan's got size, but, I mean, Georgia's speed is just so much greater and athleticism and all that. uh, It's going to be kind of – A little bit tough sledding, but you never know. You never know.
2: 58 to 17. I texted you guys uh, last night, 58 to 17, the number of four or five-star recruits, Georgia 58, TCU 17. Now, they were outdone in that category against a lot of teams this year and obviously Michigan, but I'm with you. I think the speed shows up, and I'll be more than happy to gamble that Brock Bowers gets more than four touches in this game like he did in the semi.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this too about the recruiting rankings and stuff. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, this is the first because uh, there's the blue chip ratio that's out there. It's, it's kind of tried and true. Uh, a team has never won it without 50 percent or more of their roster being four and five star kids. Clemson was right on that border their first couple of years where they broke through. Certainly hadn't happened in the playoff. Oregon w- was above when they played for it. Um uh, Auburn in 2010 was kind of close, but yeah, you know, the point is this is rare that that that, you, that with the recruiting and you kind of kind of wonder about the portal too and how it factors in on all this. But uh, I think it's the first team probably since that Virginia Tech team in 1999 uh, that's advanced to a championship game uh, with with this type of roster, where it's just a bunch of guys that have got evaluated. Of course, it, it, that Virginia Tech team had Michael Vick, who was a big difference maker, but his supporting cast was not all that highly regarded out of school. Um so so this is the first time in like 23 years we've had a team that's been kind of set up like this in the college in the in the championship game for college football. So I I think and I think things like that are good for the sport too, because there's so much, you know, focus on all that these days. Sometimes it's like, hey, you know, uh it doesn't you're not doomed on signing day and you know you, you can do it. You can do it. You know, but I, I think that's something to look at as well.
3: All right, and uh, Mike, you mentioned the BYU um, uh, comparison there. I do want to break down a couple of things before we move on to question number two uh, in this. Just just some nuggets that I, I thought you guys might find interesting. This comes from uh, Matt Brown uh, of The Athletic here. Um, BYU, since it is a more natural comparison uh, to that when them winning the national title in 1984, they had won 11 games six of the previous seven years. So them actually competing or being in the conversation Be a little less surprising uh, than that. Uh, The first, if TCU were to win on Monday, they would uh, be the first national champion uh, that had a losing record the previous season since 1965 Michigan State uh, when the Spartans went four and five. But even by then, Uh, The Spartans had finished in the top 10 uh, two of the previous uh, three seasons ahead of that year. In terms of the actual program profile, uh, TCU, 66th all-time in uh, FBS winning percentage at 54. Uh, They would be the lowest-ranked program currently to win a national title since uh, Maryland uh, back in 1953. Maryland Hmm. is ranked 78th all-time in win percentage, Uh, but in terms of actual comparison, uh, bring it back around to a team that we're all uh, a little familiar with. Um, Prior to winning the first of their five national championships in 83 Miami, their all-time win percentage was 55%, which is comparable to TCUs. Um, While Schnellenberger had done some really good things and and had some nine-win seasons ahead of that, they had not played in a major game uh, since the 1950 Orange Bowl prior to Mm -hmm. winning the national title in 1983. So there's at least some food for thought and a little bit more historical context of what we're witnessing with TCU. Yeah. I I like the Miami
2: analogy and I know that's hard for people to believe if you're of a certain age, um, which we all are. When we all, you know, when Miami won their first national title uh, as a, as a family, we, we just moved to South Florida and I was a kid. So I I didn't really grasp everything, but what I later learned in life. And if you watch the documentary on the U, Miami football was nothing. They were thinking of, Shutting down the program. In fact, they might have at some point. Uh, if you went to Burger King and got a Whopper, you'd get on your you'd, you'd peel it off the cup. It was like a free ticket to the Hurricanes game. Nobody cared. Nobody went. Some would, some might say they reverted to that now in South Florida. Uh, it's been a mess, but they're trying to change that with Redikovich. But um, but my Miami was was they weren't Miami, and so that's kind of what where TCU is. If, if they somehow pull this off they would come out of nowhere to win this, even though you could make the argument more people are familiar with TCU under Gary Patterson than they were with anything that Miami had done pre-Schnellenberger. All right, number two.
3: All right, number two. And, uh, and again, you know, who would have thought TCU would be competing for a national championship uh, before Jim Harbaugh and Michigan? Uh, Jim Harbaugh has been there the last couple of years, hasn't been able to get over the hump and play in the title game. Um, the, guys, the the word coming around, uh, at least broken first by uh, the staff at the athletic, that if Jim Harbaugh were to get offered a head coaching job, he would jump at the opportunity. Uh, obviously, he was very close to doing this very same thing a year ago uh, when it came to interviewing for the Vikings, and they ch- chose to go in another direction. Uh, David Newton of ESPN has reported uh, while not a formal interview, at least. Uh, Harbaugh has spoken with David Tepper uh, in Charlotte for the Panthers' job, um, but just your overall thoughts. I mean, JC, you you gave a few of them that uh, you know TCU was just a little bit faster uh, than Michigan there. So in that respect, and and where things seem to be uh, pointing, at least uh, for Jim Harbaugh right now, has he truly taken Michigan as far as as he can? Uh, what's what's the ceiling for this Michigan program? Have we witnessed it, or do they have a chance to actually go and win a title sometime?
1: I think he's taking it as far as he wants to. And and, and here's what I mean by that. I, th- I think NIL name image likeness, which has basically become not name image likeness. <laughs> uh, it has very little to do with that at most places, um, uh, you know, and kids chasing money and the transfer portal I mean, Michigan. Despite the last two seasons they've had, they, they lost, you know, five, six, seven guys, um, I think that gets to be a little too much because and I think you're going to see more coaches that are in college that, you know, if it were a different era, would be happy there uh, and wouldn't want to go back to the grind of the NFL. Say, heck, you know, it's less of a grind up there. And at least we're just working on football all day. You know, we're not babysitting and having to worry about somebody's mom wanting money and, and this, that and the other because it, 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 there's no rules really governing all this right now. The NCAA has completely screwed the pooch. So, um, and then you throw in the fact that it, it was going to happen last year. I mean, the Vikings don't, if they don't let him leave town, he's getting announced as the head coach in Minnesota. Uh, so I think there's a desire there. Uh, I, I think it, it's a shame he didn't win a national championship at his alma mater if he does get a job in the NFL, um, because I, I, he's he's one of those coaches that, You know, on both levels, he's been close, but no cigar, no championship. You know, they won Big Ten championships, Pac-12 championships, but not the big one. Um, And, of course, he lost to his brother in a Super Bowl. So (laughs) that's got to kind of drive you. And and if you're him, I think you're probably sitting there thinking, look, I'm not going to sit here and play this game. Michigan's recruiting. They have a really good philosophy. If a kid mentions NIL uh, right off the bat, they stop recruiting them you know and, and look it worked he had a great year this year but you're going to run into situations you know just like Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame where you run into these super athletic teams and and there's a chance you can get beat and that, that you're beating your head against the wall whereas you know in the NFL you can kind of outcoach people and if you get with a good franchise that has good uh, management and things like that you can get back to that super bowl and i, I think he's a tremendous coach uh but i i think the reasons for him wanting to get back to the NFL besides the fact that he's probably just driven to win the ultimate prize uh it really has to do a lot with the state of college football these days uh from an off season and roster management perspective
2: uh <clears throat> you and I have defended uh, Jim Harbaugh on this podcast for years JC when it looked like everybody wanted him gone and and fired and um You know, then all of a sudden you beat Ohio State two years in a row. And now if if you're Ward Manuel, the AD, it's like, what am I going to do here? He he is literally a eunuch because he can't he can't say what a lot of people think he should say, which is, look, I'm not putting up with this nonsense anymore. It's the second year in a row. You're flirting with the NFL and you're putting us on the back burner. We are not your consolation prize. That's probably what he wants to do. That's what almost any AD would want to do. But you can't take that uh fish or cut bait you know what or get off the pot mentality because if you're the ad that runs off jim harbaugh with that hard line stance the fans might never forgive you for it so you're in a real pickle but i look i think i think if he stayed they're knocking on the door i I think michigan and ohio state are both close to where they could win a national title but you can't do that if your head coach every year, every cycle, is looking at the NFL. It certainly seems like he's playing footsies with a lot of owners that have a ton of money. David Tepper, uh, for everything that's gone wrong in Charlotte, he's got he can backload another Brinks truck and give him another Matt Rule like deal, if not more, that uh that Michigan presumably would not be able to match and, and as you mentioned, JC, he might just that itch, that NFL itch needs to be scratched again. If that's the case, he's gone anyway. So it doesn't appear, I, I, I'm not going to take a guess because um, we don't even know if he's going to get offered an NFL job. It could be like last year again, but it doesn't appear like he's ever going to get over the fact that he loves him some NFL and he's going to continue to entertain it. And that's that's an issue because if you're Michigan, you've got what might be your perfect coach, but your perfect coach doesn't necessarily necessarily want to stay with you. Do you think we get? Uh, let's
3: again speculation. Obviously, if he does get offered a job and, and leaves, does Michigan uh, being open give us the opportunity to see another like Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, uh, Whiplash? Like, whoa! <laughs> Suddenly, we've got another big name that's uh, hmm. that's leaving another vacant job somewhere else just to go coach Michigan.
1: It's
2: hard to I say, is it? I don't know if those guys leave where they are is that was that the I mean no a style like that no I don't think
3: Riley and Kelly are leaving I'm just I'm speculating do we see another big name in the game go to coach Michigan like we saw Riley possibly and Kelly?
2: I mean they they got plenty of money all those big 10 schools have plenty of money um and there's a lot to offer there I mean Michigan is however if Harbaugh leaves it's like turnkey you go in there and it's almost like okay here's a 10 win team. You now make it a 12 win team, make it a 13 win team. The The program is, is firing on all cylinders. So you're going to attract some really good candidates, but I, I don't know. I, you know, there's already lists out there on the internet, top 10 candidate. We know how, how credible those are. I mean, you are just, you're throwing darts at a board and you're hoping one of them hits, but uh, it would be a fascinating search. No doubt about it.
1: I, I think you, you, gotta look out for with that job because I, you know, I, and I, I, if Luke Fickle had not taken Wisconsin, yeah, I think he'd be a shoe in. Uh,
2: is, you could is this still th- go after him, you could try and poach him still. <laughs> you could, <laughs> in this stage, and and is, is,
1: is this the Matt Campbell uh call to the big, mm. to, you know, move up? It, it is PJ Fleck who coached in that state is from Chicago. Is, is Minnesota, is he take that, taking that as far as he can go? Um, because both those guys have really done great jobs at tough gigs. The guy I think to watch out for, and he's not a Michigan man, and I'm not sure that they'll go the Michigan man route unless they do what they normally sometimes do and just promote from within because they do that at Michigan, uh, is Kalen DeBoer from Washington. Yeah. Uh, Kalen DeBoer is from South Dakota. He coached at Indiana. Uh, He's coached at Eastern Michigan uh he so he's kind of a i mean south dakota's not exactly the it's the upper midwest i guess but it's you know he, he's out at washington he's 90 and 11 as a head coach both at fresno state and washington he's a winner uh that would be a guy i'd look out for i don't know if he's on any list or not but i was just sitting there i was like Kalen the board of michigan would be that'd be a pretty
2: Pretty big time hire for them if Harbaugh I, left. I think Kalen DeBoer is going to be on everybody's radar. Like he has done an exceptional job, mm-hmm. exceptional job there. Uh, no, no question about it. I don't, I don't, I don't know if there, there is a true quote unquote Michigan man that is really in play here. So yeah. you can't just go with the the prodigal son. You you've got to, you got to think a little bit outside of that box if it yeah. happens. Yeah. All right. Number three.
3: All right. Number three, uh, just a open ended for you guys, since, uh, you know, we were kind of all busy and on the road. And uh, obviously, J.C., you had some time to <laughs> to try and recover and get a chance to not only watch Breaking Bad, but watch some of these bowl games, um, whether it was the semifinals, whether it was Kansas coming back in probably Tulane uh, winning the Cotton Bowl. I mean, those are just a handful of examples. But what stood out to you this bowl season? What was your what was your favorite uh, bowl moment? If you guys have one.
2: Well, selfishly, I got to call a few of these, and 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 I enjoyed um, I enjoyed the Myrtle Beach Bowl for different reasons. Those were those were some really good stories with Marshall and UConn. Jim Mora, what he did at at UConn, um, and that turned out to be a game in the fourth quarter. But but the one that really stood out for me was be, being able to be in Orlando in front of sixty three thousand fans at the old Citrus Bowl for Florida State Oklahoma like it almost was like is this really the cheese bowl like it, 10 20 years ago these two teams were playing for the national championship game that was kind of the coming out party for Bob Stoops in Oklahoma and they never reached that level again so it was a rematch of that and you didn't have a bunch of opt outs for Florida State you had like zero for Oklahoma you had a couple offensive linemen and and one tailback but but both teams were all in both fan bases were all in and and it was a really really entertaining game so uh, again for me personally having a chance to to be there and to call it uh for ESPN radio uh that stood out to me the semifinals obviously who who wasn't entertained by that i mean the, the peach bowl will go down as as epic a 42-41 win for for georgia is it's, it's everything you wanted. I, I thought all along we'd finally have a good 4-1 matchup, uh, and it took a little creativity, let's just say, on the committee's part to make that happen, um, but it lived up to the hype and then some. And I was talking to some uh, – DJ Shockley is a former Georgia quarterback who's now the sideline reporter, and I asked him yesterday on a talk show, I said, you were on the field did you see a, a, you know, a marked difference in the athleticism of Ohio State and Georgia? And he said, Mike, this is the one time that I didn't see, other than Alabama, didn't see a different. Like, Ohio State has the athletes, and that showed out. And, and if Marvin Harrison Jr. stays healthy, we're probably talking about Ohio State in the national championship game. I think the, the most honest of Georgia fans would admit that because he was the biggest weapon on the field. Uh, he is special. If you remember his old man, he's like that, but four inches taller. <laughs> and his old man's in the Hall of Fame. So um, I'll just go through this real quick because it, it's kind of part of my under the radar. How this year, more bowl games than ever seem to be entertaining. This is from CBS, like the top 12, like Bahamas Bowl. You had no interest in UAB, Miami of Ohio. Who cares if you were watching twenty four twenty Holiday Bowl, Oregon 28-27. Gator Bowl. I know you guys were tuned into this. I saw uh just about every play this Notre Dame 45-38 over the Gamecocks. Uh, was there any problem with momentum? Excuse me, with motivation in that game with anybody on those two teams? Absolutely not. They were all dialed in. Uh the Sun Bowl didn't see it, but I know it was an entertaining <laughs> finish. Pittsburgh 37-35 over UCLA. Uh you go to the uh excuse me, the uh, Here we go the liberty bowl the, the, i was on the air doing basketball when this is happening and we're getting the scoring updates cuz we were preempted by this game and like wait a minute i thought it was over what just happened kansas came back kansas came back they go to a bunch of overtimes and eventually arkansas wins at 55 53 um what a what a great game that was and and i wanted to say one special thing on tulane because tcu is obviously the ultimate cinderella What Willie Fritz did at Tulane this year should not be not only unnoticed, but just like, okay, well, now it's done, so we're not going to. That is the ultimate. Tulane was, they were a punchline in college football. They're down, uh, what is it, 15 to Southern Cal late in that game. By the way, Lincoln Riley has blown more 14-point leads than any other uh, Power 5 coach over the last five years, a little factoid and they blew another one in this game. 46-45 was the final. Trojans didn't play defense all year, but for for Tulane to do what they did, and for those that say in a 12-team playoff, the 12-team is never going to win a game, you mean to tell me the 12-seed Tulane couldn't beat a number 5 seed in this year's playoff? I think they could. Uh, I, I think they were one of the best stories out there. So uh, all of those, Michael, to your question, and to play it in with under-the-radar, were under the radar bowl games that you didn't necessarily set your watch to, but if you did watch it, you were entertained.
1: I uh love Tulane, uh, I always kind of pulled for them for some reason. Uh, I took a trip down to New Orleans when I was a kid and kind of got, got into them, but uh, and they've had some bad years, right? But uh, <laughs> winning that game against the Trojans was something else. I my favorite was the Sun Bowl though, and I was, I was sitting there watching. Uh, before the Gator Bowl came on, watching that. And uh, I had memories as a child. The 1987 Sun Bowl was one of the best bowl games I've ever watched. So Christmas Day, it was on CBS. It was Major Harris in West Virginia Mm -hmm. against uh, Oklahoma State, which had Thurman Thomas and
2: Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders, yeah. It
1: was a packed house. That was back when people traveled in droves to – Bowl games and, and El Paso, or whatever. There was a pretty good crowd with, with UCLA and Pitt. But, uh, you know, that setting right there is, is very interesting with the mountains in the background and that stadium. Uh, at 35 33, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I think uh, Oklahoma State won the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, Major Harris obviously went on to play for a national championship at West Virginia the next year. They lost to Notre Dame. And then Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders, boy, those, those two, <laughs> I, I don't well. know They're there. Yeah. Th- those are one of the legendary college uh, running back duos of all time. And it was up and down and just a great setting. So that game with UCLA and Pitt sort of reminded me of that a little bit and, you know, hats off to Pat Narduzzi for, for winning, winning that one. They won, right? Yeah. It was the last second field goal. Um, you know, because it, it it didn't look it looked ominous at times for them, and I I think Pitt is one of the better success stories uh, in college football. Anyway, so um, you know that 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 was probably my favorite moment. Um, you know, maybe if the Gator Bowl had been a little different, I, I'd feel differently. But you know, it's uh, it was a uh, that was a heck of a game too. But that was just that was a great day on, on the thirtieth, uh, watching games and stuff. So it was a, uh, but the Sun Bowl to me has always meant something. I always try to watch it. It's one of the only CBS televised bowl games. I think the only one on the actual network. Um, and so it was great. You know, like that 87 game, Brent Musburger and Pat Hayden called it. Uh, Vern Lundquist used to call the, the Sun Bowl in the offseason, you know. So uh, a lot of memories with that one and uh, watching two teams go up and down the field like that and then Pitt coming back, being resilient. Uh, after all they went through last offseason losing players and stuff it, Kind of made me feel good. And seeing Chip Kelly run offense up the field made me feel good, too.
3: All right, moving on to the next question. And uh, here's another one that you guys haven't even uh, mentioned this one. You haven't mentioned either one of these uh, two teams, uh, quite honestly. And it, maybe that's just more of uh, where things are uh, for at least one particular team heading into this question. Uh, the Orange Bowl. Uh, Tennessee, uh, w- while the game was close for a little bit, was never really as close as the as the score seemed to be early uh, on in that ball game. But uh, just reading this from, from Stuart Mandel, uh, it says that Clemson's embarrassing performance should be a wake up call for Dabo Swinney Um uh, pointing out that uh it, it's been, um it, it's been uh, see three times uh, since they beat Ohio state, uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Georgia from 2013 to 2019 and dating, uh, to the championship game against LSU. Uh, Clemson has lost five of their last six against SEC foes in Ohio State. Um, Mandel claims that uh, Swinney's insular approach to staff hires and refusal to take transfers has caused Clemson to regress. Gentlemen, uh, agree or disagree? And if you agree, do you think we will actually see Dabo Swinney make any of those changes to uh, to at least do what his competitors are doing Uh, on the roster
2: makeup. I'll keep mine short. I I don't know why it was an embarrassing performance. They got beat by a better team. Like, uh, what was embarrassing about it? It's not like they they didn't come to play. Um, Again, candidly, secretly, I think there's a lot of national uh, media folks that kind of tip their hand as to how they feel about Dabo personally, and they're not afraid to inject that. Um, not saying that's the case with Stewart, but I read a lot of stuff and it's like, OK, that was <laughs> that was a little strong for like they're still winning 10, 11 games. They're not where they were, and I'm not sure they're going to get back to where they were. Um, they had a great run, but do, do they have some of the same advantages that Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State do? I, I don't know. Um, and And to your to the last question. I don't know if Dabo is going to dig in on that on the portal but I just don't know how you remain a power when I say a power like a national championship power uh, without without delving into the portal I, I, to me that has to be part of the of the recipe uh, there's I mean I I know Nick Saban has been adamant about it he's begrudgingly done it uh Georgia does it Ohio State does it like who who doesn't do it that's playing for national championships? So that's that's part of it. Um, the other thing is, you know, look, you get Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence back to back essentially, you might never do that again, even with the portal and even with everything else. And even if you're winning 11 games a year, like that's those are two generational talents that any program would be lucky to be able to recruit in back to back. Sessions, if you will, and and I don't know if that happens again.
1: They're not what they were at receiver either. They've, you know, got they have two really good young guys in uh, Antonio Williams and and Adam Randall who are from within the state, and yeah, you know, they've they've got they're not bad. Don't get me wrong. Um, but here's the thing about Clemson, and and I, I do think some people in the national media love to take shots at Dabo or whatever, and you know they're not what they were but until somebody else in the ACC steps up and maybe it's Florida state next year, maybe it's not. I mean, who knows that league is just so, uh, you know, I I mentioned Pitt earlier, Pitt takes advantage of the fact that North Carolina can't get it together or or Virginia tech is bottomed out or Miami's a dumpster fire, despite the amount of money they're spending and all that. Um, until somebody comes up, steps up and challenges them, you know, outside of a Wake Forest who has to play a game of their life to to come within six points, um, they're going to continue to roll. Now, if, if I were a Clemson fan, and obviously, you know, I'm not, but uh, just looking at their program objectively, I, I would not be as concerned about the internal promotions uh, and the coaching aspect of it as I would be about, the recruiting aspect of it as it relates to offensive skill talent, because it's not just quarterback. They, they, they get a highly rated quarterback in there every year. They got a, you know, uh, Klubnik's not Watson or Lawrence, but he was a five-star guy. They got to kick him over to Five-star guy, so was bus. DJ. He was just a bus. Not all five stars are created equal, as we all know. Um, we're living in a world where Max Dugan and Stetson Bennett are playing for the national championship, <laughs> right? Who would have thought that? So, uh you know, it's, it's that they don't have T. Higgins and, and Mike Williams and 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 all those guys that, that are in the NFL right now. They had a lot, nice long streak. Now, they have some good young talent there, but they, they're just not on offense hitting that level. Now, they are continuing to recruit at an elite level on defense, and I, and I think they're almost kind of becoming like Clemson once was, which will allow you to win 10 games a year in the ACC from now until the end of time unless somebody comes back. Uh, it's almost like back to the Danny Ford era uh, in a lot of ways, where, you know, Clips is going to go play good defense. They're going to kick long field goals. They're going to run the ball all over you, try to run it all over you, and, you know, make some good pass plays here and there and, uh, and grind you into submission. And, you know, when you get into some of these matchups like against Tennessee, if Tennessee's on on offense, you know, you're not going to have a very good day doing that. Um, and, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what needs to happen there uh, as far as, you know, I, I think the scheme's fine. I think the X's and O's are fine. It's the same stuff they've always run. I do think, though, there's been a a dip on offense in terms of skill guys in recruiting while their defense has stayed up. So they almost have to play that way. And I just don't know that you can – I mean, you think about their national championship wins, uh, you know, game appearances, the 45-40. 35-31, 44-16, 42-25. Those are the final scores of Clemson's four national championship game appearances. They're not going to go win game 17-13. Uh, and, and they're doing that far too often these days, uh, I think, for for there not to be some concern uh, on the part of their fan base. But I, I don't know that it's necessarily all like, oh, he won't hit the portal or, oh, he's promoted from within. I think I think there's just been some misses in recruiting on one side of the ball that, and not on the other, that's forced them to play a certain way so they can do what the name of the game is, which is win. And, and, and then one other,
2: one other, just to wrap this subject up on the Tennessee side, uh, if you thought that they were going to be dead and buried without Hendon Hooker, Joe Milton actually showed some of what everybody thought he could be. We all know he's got a cannon of an arm, um, but he actually showed some more uh, some accuracy and the ability maybe to be the guy next year for Josh Heupel and that uh, electric offense. All right, next one. All right, moving
3: on here. I I actually did have this question as a, who did you think was the bigger surprise this year, Kansas or Tulane? Uh, You guys just spoke glowingly about a few minutes ago, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit, uh, have a little bit more fun with the question. Uh, You guys are the athletic director uh, looking for a new head coach. Uh, And let's just say, you know, things haven't been great, but they're not terrible. The bottom hasn't completely fallen out. You're mediocre. You want to get to to average and, and hope that you can uh, maybe compete in uh, a New Year's Day game at, at some point. Who
2: are you hiring, Lance Leipold or Willie Fritz? Mike, we'll start with you. You know, Willie Fritz almost got the job here in Atlanta at Georgia Tech. And uh, obviously, the way Georgia Tech finished, I can't argue with what they did. But for a lot of people, it was like, well, why do you want to hire a 50 something year old? Well, how old is Sonny Dykes? Like this whole notion that you got to hire somebody who's late thirties or forty—that—that's just silliness to me. Um They're both terrific uh, candidates, but I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll take my chances with Willie Fritz.
1: They're both similar guys, too. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm gonna—I'm gonna go the opposite. I'm gonna go with Lance, uh just because. I mean. Uh, Tulane is a brutal is a tough job right Kansas I think may be a tough one <laughs> and yeah. uh and look I I I I I you know Tulane, mad respect for what they did this year the American is not an easy conference because you you do deal with programs this year like UCF and Cincinnati and all that um and, and I realized Tulane was almost about to quit football a few years about 15 years ago but I also realized Kansas is by far the worst program in that league, and that league this year, uh, as we've talked about a lot, Mike was very competitive and put a team in the national championship game. So I'd, yeah, I'd probably lean towards Leopold, but I'm, I love them both. So uh, that, that that's kind of I would just go the opposite on that, oh, even though with knowing that there's a lot of respect for both
3: all right And both of those guys doing their things to uh to surprise a lot of folks this year and uh, maybe some bigger things coming for the Jayhawks and the Green Wave uh coming up in 2023 uh just to to move on to the next one here uh obviously those were great seasons uh especially even though it was a losing season <laughs> in the end for Kansas still a great season uh for them but uh guys let's go to the other side of it bigger disappointment uh this season i i know AM is going to to come to the top and if that's who you pick that's who you pick but is it A&M? Is it somebody else? Who who would you consider uh, uh, all the expectations maybe going into the year or things that we thought would be a little bit better, a little bit bigger for someone, and they just
2: did not quite get there this past season? Boy, you'd be hard-pressed to to trump A&M, who, by the way, has hired Bobby Petrino. Let's mm-hmm. not bury that lead because that is, <laughs> is going to be a lot of fun to follow. DJ Dirk and Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher leading the way. What could possibly go wrong? Um, no, I actually think that's a, I actually think that's a brilliant hire and, and, and Petrino, he's paid his dues. He hasn't been in the SEC for 11 years and he, he has not forgotten how to call plays. So, uh, just as an aside, Bobby, I, I know that's going to be used as a punchline a lot in the coming days, but I think that actually is a good hire. And it goes to show you that sometimes you got to just uh, buckle up and 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 take a piece of humble pie and say, you know what, me calling plays, it's not working, and I need to go ahead and delegate. And that's what Jimbo has done, and he's give, handing it over to a guy whose reputation as a play caller has never faded, no matter where he's been, whether it's Missouri State or Western Kentucky or anywhere. Um, but I I never bought into the hype that that Texas A and M was a true competitor for, to win the West this year. Not by a long shot, but I certainly didn't think they would go down the um, uh, the rabbit hole that they did and and just look that bad on offense. So I'll go with the Aggies.
1: I'm gonna go with Miami. Um,
2: oh yes, not
1: because you know another look, one. They were seven and five, and they fired Manny Diaz, right? And, and look, in 21, there were some disappointing games. Bama. I know they thought they were going to beat Bama. It didn't happen. They lost badly to Michigan State. But man, they won five out of their last six. Their only loss was a three point game at Florida State. Uh, the loss before that was a three point game at North Carolina. Um, some bad losses early to Virginia for some, some reason. That's their number. But check out Mario, uh, Mario Cristobal comes to town. I've always thought that dude was a star, right? I mean, he, I, I loved what he did at Oregon. He's recruiting. They're hitting the portal. They get a lot of good players in there. They open the season with a 70-13 to 13 win over Bethune-Cookman. You know, they struggled with Southern Miss for a while. They came back, and then all of a sudden, they did lose to that disappointing A&M team. Middle Tennessee cuts them at home. Uh, they lost a close one to North Carolina, managed to beat Virginia Tech. Mike, you had the Miami-Virginia game. That was a classic.
2: What? Quadruple overtime with zero touchdowns by other team. Never seen it.
1: Duke beat them at home 45-21. Florida State came to uh, Hard Rock or Landshark or whatever it's called. It's not Coral. It was, they didn't go to Coral Gables. I was going to play there. Beat them 45-3. to I don't think they crossed the 50 against Clemson. And then with pride, on, nothing but pride on the line or a bowl game on the line, I guess, To extend the season, Pat Narduzzi and the Pitt Panthers come down and beat him 42-16. to That's a team to me. Yeah. It's not disappointing that they lost games. I don't think anybody expected Miami to win the ACC, although some people picked them to win, uh, actually, the Coastal.
2: Some people thought their quarterback was a first-rounder.
1: When you just quit like that, that's been a problem at Miami for a long time. I'll never forget the last game in the Orange Bowl – uh, Thirty-eight, nothing. An average Virginia team came in and shut them down. Uh, I think you know we sometimes talk about conferences making programs worse. Uh, Nebraska to the Big Ten is a big example of that. I think Colorado to the Pac-12, you could argue that. I think my I think it's time to say it. Miami going to the ACC, while probably a boost for their overall athletic program, it's been bad for football. They're in the worst division and one of the worst leagues in America, right? And they've only won it once. They've only won that, that division once. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they, I almost think they'd have been better off uh if the big east had stayed together because at least you got West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Boston College every year. That's you know, you had some teams that you can kind of compete against. Sure, there's Temple, but you, you could play a non-conference schedule that was good. You still had FSU. So you know, I, I think the ACC has drugged them down uh, and, and just bred mediocrity uh, because because of the league and, and and also there. I know there's some other changes and stuff that have happened down there, but uh, man, oh man! I mean, th- what a what a disappointment! And then you have their NIL guy that's just uh, blatantly buying players, talking smack on Twitter because they have a top five recruiting class. Let me tell everybody. Let, let me fill everybody in on something. Miami's got a top five to ten recruiting class almost every year, and then you throw in the money on top of that, and, and you throw in the, the fundamental problem down there is these guys don't play like the U. They act like it, they don't play like it. Well, they have uh, plenty
2: of swagger until they get punched in the mouth, and, and, and then, then all of a sudden they done. lay down.
1: Done. Yeah. And you're you're going to add money and entitlement onto that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm I love Mario Cristobal, but uh, and uh, I love the U. I mean, I think I think it's good for them to be good. But man, oh man, uh, that that was a. There were some shocking results. You know, blown out. You're blown out at home by Middle Tennessee, Pitt, and Duke. Uh, it's not a talent or coaching issue. It's a uh, it's a want to issue,
2: or the C word culture. We hear that a lot. Culture uh, that, issue. That's yeah. Mario's going to have a lot of uh, adjustment there. What do we got, Mike?
3: All right, uh, moving on to the next one, Uh, bigger bowl game bump. You know, which team that got a victory in a bowl game is going to get the the biggest momentum heading into the
2: offseason and into 2023? Uh, I'll pick two. Um, Tennessee, I I think Tennessee, you know, because the the loss to the Gamecocks was so humbling and so dejecting that whatever they did the following week against Vanderbilt, it's almost like it didn't even – it happened in a – and the ether. Um, and so with, okay, how are they going to play without Henn and Hooker? They made a statement in that game and they let people be positive again about what it's going to be like after Henn and Hooker and after some of the guys they're going to lose uh, from that receiving core. And then I would throw in Florida state uh, again, little recency bias for me having been there and and seen it firsthand, but Florida state just won 10 games uh, presumably, uh, Travis is going to be back at quarterback. They're going to have a lot of talent back. And Mike Norvell, who the, it seemed like could do nothing could go right for him the first two years in Tallahassee, I think all of a sudden now Florida State is in position where they're ready to be back to they, – they are now going to be the challenger for Clemson. I don't see anybody else really in that category other than Florida State. I'm going I'm to
1: throw one obvious and kind of one surprise at you. Uh, I think Notre Dame, uh, and that's not necessarily because of their opponent, but but I, I think when you look at the totality of, of what they did this year, there were some, some, Oh crap moments, you know, losing to Marshall, uh, losing to a bad Stanford team at home. And they, you know, guys, it just, <laughs> they didn't like Notre Dame for a while. People are questioning Marcus Freeman and, uh, I've watched a lot of their games because my fiance is a big Notre Dame fan. And uh, th- that team really never quit. You know, there-, there was no entitlement there. You know, they had some games too. Navy came back on them, whatever happened with the Gamecocks and all that. They have Sam Hartman coming in from Wake Forest next year to solve a bunch of quarterback issues. They have a lot of talent. They have speed. Their schedule next year is manageable. Uh, they get Southern Cal at home. I, 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 I'd I say the Irish got a bump uh, for sure. Uh, just coming back in the way they won the game, everybody's going to be feeling good. I'm going to throw another curveball at you right there, right here. The winner of the Military Bowl, the Duke Blue Devils.
2: Yeah, I was gonna, I'm glad you said that because Mike Elko was one of my under-the-radar guys. He did an yeah. exceptional job.
1: Beat UCF. I know UCF had, was dealing with some opt-outs, but they still had Plumlee. You know, Elko is a defensive genius. People forget everybody laughs about that game between Virginia Tech and Wake Forest that time that was zero zero at the end. And there's the meme of Frank Beamer going, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think Tech won at six to three. Um, but he was really good, uh coordinating defense at Wake, moved on to Notre Dame, moved on to AM, and finally got that job. And they have an excellent uh, offensive coordinator in Kevin Johns that kind of you know, has, has structured them to where, you know, they're pretty good at running the ball all of a sudden and they can throw it. And and I, I think Cutcliffe and his staff almost recruited a little bit under the radar um, during their last few years because they had been there a while and they were kind of an established group. So I, I, think, I think Cutcliffe left some talent there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But nine wins uh, and beat UCF like that, uh, I think in Durham, they're going to feel a little cocky next year.
3: All right, and uh, next question, Mike, you touched on it a, a little bit and already gave uh, some of your thoughts there, but did want to uh, to j- uh, circle back around to Bobby Petrino being in the SEC. Didn't want to completely bury the lead, but that is one of the bigger stories, uh, new stories coming in uh, this week between the wrap-up of the bowls and the championship game. Uh, Bobby Petrino, though, back, back in the SEC, former Arkansas coach. He's been around the block for a minute. Obviously a uh, complicated legacy that he has, but Mike, as you touched on, there's no uh, disregarding his play calling ability. I, I remember back in in my former life uh, getting to interview and and uh, talk with longtime defensive coordinator in college football Ellis Johnson, and he said beyond Steve Spurrier, he believes Bobby Petrino might be uh, the the greatest play caller in the college game. Uh, period. Uh, so huge get for Texas AM. and and I guess it, guys, maybe we're already circling uh, November fourth uh, when the Aggies go to Vaught Hemingway to to play. Uh, um uh, old myths and have a, a little bit of fun there with that but also <laughs> uh the uh when they play auburn uh, that's going to be a fun one on September 23rd uh to uh to see uh Hugh Freeze also back in the league as well so time heals all wounds Hugh Freeze and now Bobby Petrino back in the SEC guys
2: yeah I, I, look I, I i just think this is not a um i'm going to keep this really short cuz i know we're pressed on time this is not an overarching Uh, morals or ethical question uh, or point, but I just think most fans overall don't really care that much about coaches' personal lives. The Hugh Freeze one is a little bit compounded by the fact that the recruiting violations, but all that stuff is legal now. We know this. So I don't think that's going to be an issue at Auburn. Um, And what happened with Bobby Petrino, again, was 11 years ago. So uh, it, it makes sense that both those guys, eventually their talent, was going to find their way back into the best league in college football in the sec. And that's, that's the way it's gone down. Shouldn't be surprising. And I think both of the hires uh, will make sense. Now what they turn out to be, who knows, you know, to go back to JC's point on Miami, sometimes it's bigger than just how many stars their players have next to the name. And, you know, Mario Cristobal didn't forget how to coach, but there's something beyond what's wrong the same thing with the university of texas like it, it can't all be just bad coaching hires something in the air there is just it's off so what is off in college station and can bobby petrino alone solve that riddle uh be very interesting to see this year It'd be a fascinating year in college station
1: i think so too and yeah Jim fisher's called plays for 20 something years i mean I think if, if hiring a guy like Bobby Petrino, there's probably a lot of trust there, right? Um, and, you know, Ellis Johnson's probably right because Ellis Johnson could never stop Bobby Petrino. <laughs> mm. uh, South Carolina or wherever, and he actually worked for him at Arkansas uh, for a spell. But um, So he's right, but, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes those guys clash a little bit. I mean, you know, the, that are the, the play caller. They want to do things a certain way because they're used to it. I mean, that's... It's going to be kind of fascinating to me just to see that dynamic play out. Um, but, you know, I I think that they're close enough stylistically uh, to where Jimbo's not just like wa- waving the white flag and going, well, well I know my pro-style offense doesn't work. Because Bobby Petrino is a pro-style offense uh, kind of guy. He, he's kind of very similar to, to Spurrier and what uh, some of the concepts he's run. Um, in that it is based on the NFL. It does look a little like Jim. But it's not something like uh, had he gone and gotten Garrett Riley and gone air raid. So, you know, I, I think he, he stuck to his guns, but the dynamic there, uh, that's going to be pretty interesting. All right, guys, we got two more left here.
3: Uh, again, two more uh, open-ended ones for you so uh, you you can – uh, respond as you see fit, but I, I just thought this would be a fun one for you uh, as we move into 2023 in college football. Lots of changes are, are going on throughout the sport, seemingly on a daily basis. But what would be your New Year's resolution uh, for college football if, if you could run things and and make one change uh, or goal into 2023 for the sport of college football? What would it
2: be? This is so simple for me, um, and with all due respect, again, some of the people that just want to say what what's the big deal. This is this is always gone on in college football, and everybody's getting paid, and this is great. You you've got to have some guardrails. The, the, when I meet with coaches, the number one thing—it's not even close—that they are stressed out about has nothing to do with the X's and O's or the other things that come with the job. It, it's the absolute mess that is trying to p- prevent your own players from being poached, which is which we all know is going to the highest bidder. Uh, if you don't think there's anything slightly wrong with that, well, that's the way to do it in the pros. In the pros, they have three-year contract, four-year, seven-year contracts, and you can't violate the contract. We are operating in a way where we're giving the players pro-type setups, but we're not giving them the commitment and obligation that pro players have so this is not like the nfl uh not to mention we don't have a salary cap in college football which we all anybody that covers the nfl the part of the beauty of the nfl is anybody can win because you're dealing with a, a level playing field financially uh that'll never be solved in college football it's always going to be the haves and have nots i acknowledge that but uh, to, to have a situation where it's like, okay, we're going to give this kid a half a million dollars to come here, and then when he's the least bit upset, we're going to let him go to school XYZ for $1.2 million. without that, That's that's not what NIL was remotely all about. So we need the people that actually care about college athletics. And look, I the only person I have faith in to, to help get this done right is Greg Sankey. The problem is there's only one Greg Sankey. The, and so I I don't know where else you turn to you say Congress have you been following what's going on in Congress do, do you expect them to 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 get this thing situated anytime soon I, that would be my resolution but I'm afraid we're we're not we're not exactly knocking on the doorstep uh of getting it resolved
1: I'm all right with you Mike don't have anything further to add to that uh there, there needs to be something uh some kind of guardrails on it You know, and and it needs to be heavily enforced that, you know, some kind of clearinghouse that these are legit opportunities and not just um, free for alls. So there you go.
3: All right, guys. And a final uh, question here in the hot handy ten. We would be remiss if we didn't miss uh, or mention uh, the tragic passing of Mike Leach uh, way, way, way too soon. Uh, again, I know we're on a time crunch here and can't really do justice. We could do an entire show uh, probably just talking about uh, different things and the legacy of Mike Leach, but just wanted to give you guys the opportunity here uh, in the segment uh, to, uh, to mention anything that, that you feel or thought about, uh, uh, you know, while a complicated legacy, one of the, uh, Uh, The you know most dynamic coaches uh, that we've seen in the sport, Uh,
2: fascinating human being. His record and his innovativeness as a coach speaks for itself. I've had two Mike Leach experiences the last two years. I had him in uh, in the Georgia game this year, and the year before that, I had him. We did a spring game. When you do the spring game, it's pretty lighthearted broadcast, and we wanted to ask Mike Leach, you know, how is he assimilating to Starkville? And he gave us a video. He lived in a pretty you know conservative house in starkville mississippi and there's a pond behind him uh, behind his house and we have video of mike leach paddleboarding on a pond behind his home that was just everything anything else we did in that two-hour window of television was second fiddle to the video of mike leach on a paddleboard on a pond behind his home in starkville uh always brilliant with his comments and and funny and humorous Um, he will be sorely missed in, in, in so many ways. I did want to just on that note real quick, 2005, he was the head coach of Texas tech. We know this, right? Here's his staff, uh, Dana Holgerson, wide receiver coach, Lincoln Riley, student coach, Ruffin McNeil, defensive tackle coach, Sonny Dykes, wide receiver coach. Not only was he a great coach, but he made great coaches and he knew talented people in the coaching profession uh if you look at his tree it is uber uber impressive so sometimes his his uh silliness if you will maybe people didn't take him as seriously as they should as just a brilliant coach and innovator and one of the better minds we've had in the sport over the last couple of decades
1: yeah i'm with you there i I can't repeat my favorite mike leach (laughs) moment because it's a viral video on youtube uh where he just comes in and after a game they won and lays into him. He's like, and uh, one of the lines he did say, I, I, I repeated it earlier. And I thought about this was, uh, you guys just pull the mediocrity out of one another. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I, I love that. You know, He's like, I want it changed, <laughs> you know, so uh, go check that out on YouTube.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um- I know we're that that's it. All right. That's that's ten. We got them all in. Got them all and I in. know I know we're on a time crunch. I know JC's got another show to do as he does each and every day. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to thank our uh sponsors, including Blue Delta, bluedeltagenes.com, for the best fitting, most comfortable, best looking jeans on the planet. Go to bluedeltajeans.com And I just want to remind everybody I do this at the end of every season. We're gonna be right back with you at the end of the national championship game, and we're gonna be with you. Uh, Every week throughout the offseason. So this is not goodbye for us. Uh, College football truly is a 12 month out of the year sport. So, guys, we look forward to covering all the stories that continue to come down the pike. All right. Looking forward to it, guys. Looking forward to it. JC's got to get to uh, other ventures. Michael, great job as always. Good to have you back uh, in the Music City. And we look forward to talking to everybody out there next week. For JC, for Michael, this is Mike saying so long for now. We'll see you next time on JC and Morgan.